evening and welcome to Slam the Gavel, the show that tells it all regarding family court, other court issues, as well as CPS. I am your host, Marianne Petrie. This episode of Slam the Gavel is sponsored by CPS Protect Consulting Services. A child protective services case is one of the most frightening experiences for any parent. Don't face it alone. Face it with confidence with urgent assist by CPS Protect. You can have access to former CPS investigators to make sure you preserve your rights and protect your family. If you're facing CPS involvement and aren't sure where to turn, their child welfare consultants can help you. Visit cpsprotect.com forward slash subscribe and enter the coupon code SLAMTHEGAVEL for 10% off your first year of urgent assist. And this is available in all 50 states. I have another announcement. Bradley's mother, Narcus Golan, passed away five months ago. Bradley is autistic and needs structured routine therapies he receives for his autism six days a week. However, Italy just entrusted Bradley to Italian social services. If he is ruled to go back, he will face the next three to four years in the Italian foster care system where he cannot speak nor understand the language. He will then be taken away from the only family he has ever known. Please call Governor Hochul, New York State. 518-474-8390. That's 518-474-8390. Please call the senator as well to please keep Bradley here safe in these United States. Hashtag keep Bradley safe. I have a brand new guest on. I'm happy to have David Schubert on. He is a left behind and alienated father who took his personal experiences of international abduction and alienation and chose to become a family rights activist. During this time, David has been very prominent on Facebook, LinkedIn, and now Twitter social media as he spreads his message to others that they are not alone. He is currently the author of two books and another one that is soon to be released in the next two weeks titled Parental Alienation Unmasked. Additionally, David has a website for alienated parents called A Parenting Affair, where visitors are able to enjoy reading articles written by experts, watch music videos created by other alienated parents, or even just browse the book section and much more. I welcome you to Slam the Gavel podcast, David Schubert. You have been through a lot and you're helping so many and how, you know... Your journey begin. I'm sorry to say my journey begins or how? How? <laughs> how? Why? Well, not why, but I mean, you know, how does this, how does a person end up in, in these situations? Unlucky, I guess, uh, in certain respects, because like everyone else is in the same situation of being alienated or maybe they're a left behind per, uh, parent. I was the same way. I didn't know the person that I actually got involved with because they turned out to be totally different than the person they portrayed themselves to be. They uh, basically had a mask of deception that they kept cinched up so tight that it disguised their real inner self. Mm -hmm. And before I knew it, six years into it, had a child that was born between us and also I was helping to raise her son. Um, she took off on me, and I wouldn't find out for a few months uh, afterwards when I kept getting all these collection calls that it wasn't, uh, she didn't take off because of me. She took off because she was $63,000 in debt, 
and didn't want to pay it and certainly wasn't going to uh, let me know about it. So I wound up having to go through the International Hague Convention course with the assistance of the U.S. Department of State. Um, went through a, a long battle. Finally, two years after the abduction, um, you know, from uh, to overseas, uh, she was made to bring the children back. Unfortunately, a certain family court judge, uh, in his infinite wisdom, ruled that, well, they'd been gone for the previous two years, and it's in the children's best interest to remain with the mother and allowed him to return back overseas. And I'm like, geez, I mean, Christmas, what is wrong with you? Have you got yeah. something in your drinking water that's causing you to think stupid? You know, yeah. and that's what I'm thinking. And I knew the moment he made that ruling, I would never see or speak to my children ever again. Oh. And I was right. Um, you know, she disobeyed every order of the court. We wound up eventually going through four contempt hearings, which she had the option of attending uh, via telephone, you know, uh, but she wouldn't even do that. Finally, after four contempt hearings, and they subsequently issued arrest warrants on each of them for uh, failure to appear, um, we went into modification. Now, the funny part about it, we had actually two modifications on this whole situation. I had a, a Craigslist attorney, and I don't recommend getting one from Craigslist, by the way, mm -hmm. but she was so mad at my attorney on this first modification hearing, you know, she heard how the mother had, uh, had been given a second chance by the original judge. She'd heard how the mother had disobeyed every order of the court, the contempt hearings, and that I'd had no contact whatsoever. You know what the judge did uh, since she was so mad at my attorney? I find no change in circumstances to warrant a change of uh, the, the custody. So therefore, your modification of parental responsibilities is denied. It's like, really? Well, I wound up uh, trying to uh, get a copy of the recording and transcripts of this. He conveniently forgot to turn the recording equipment on. So I couldn't even get that. So I was able to go back and get another modification hearing, but it took an additional 11 months. I didn't have the uh, Craigslist attorney working for me anymore. I had a good one. Um, and he went in, he explained to the uh, judge the whole situation. And the mother, again, had the opportunity to appear, which she did not. Um, the, this judge here says, okay, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm sorry this happened to you. I'm ruling that the mother has to bring the children back and put them in your care. The mother is to have supervised visitation until further orders of the court mm -hmm. and within seven days be back here and uh, with the children. The mother didn't comply with that order either. So mm -hmm. I went the next several years without still being able to talk or see him or, you know, do video chats or anything, you know. So I finally got, I was living down there in Panama, Central America, back in 2015 and 2016. Um, I got taken to court because by then, you know how it is when they switch modification of uh, custody, they'll go ahead and also switch modification of child support. Well, it took uh, this other country three years before they go, well, yeah, uh, she's supposed to bring the kids back, even though she's still got me illegally. Let's go ahead and make her pay. Uh, so she went to court 
and uh, wanted to dismiss since she had the kids. So in 2016, I had to appear in court over there uh, from Panama. The judge goes, well, you know, uh, she's got the kids. And I said, yeah, illegally against mm -hmm. court because of the U.S. She says, well, I don't care. I said, well, here's the other thing. Your country doesn't hold jurisdiction. You guys have already uh, decided that you didn't want it uh, back in 2009. Mm -hmm. I says, Colorado has jurisdiction. She says, I don't care. We're taking it, which was highly illegal. You can't just take it. The the uh, state that holds jurisdiction, you have to go to the courts there, and you have to request that they relinquish jurisdiction, and then they can assume it. They've never done that. So anyway, they dismissed the case uh, and they stopped making her pay child support. Uh, you know, which was not a ton of money that uh, because it took, like you say, three years for them to make their decision of starting to collect it. So they did that. Boy, oh boy, that uh, didn't stop her. She still attacked me. The fact is, I've got to go back to court on her again over this whole mess uh, again uh, next month. Oh, no. You know, so 15 years into this, and I'm still paying the price because of the original judge in my case, not hearing the 22 pieces of key evidence against the mother and the abduction and all this other stuff. And the fact that she had already disobeyed the course and allowing me to have a visitation with him, you know, but I don't know. It's, uh, but back in 2016, when that court ruling came down, I had enough. I was fed up. And so I got on the internet and I found out that I wasn't alone myself, that there mm -hmm. were literally millions of people all over the world that were going through the same thing as what I was. That's when I had a friend of mine living in Panama. He was actually from Venezuela, but he did graphic design. I'd never been on Facebook a day in my life, but mm -hmm. he taught me and he actually set up my website. In fact, there's a background that's on that Facebook uh, website is the one that he designed for me. You know, and from that day forward, I became a family rights activist. Mm -hmm. Well, you have to channel your anger and frustration into something when these judges are so inept and in not either enforcing contempt orders or doing the right thing. This is true. And there are so many different reasons that these judges rule in this, um, you know, uh, Sometimes it's bias or prejudice. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, they may not even like your attorney, like happened to me. Mm -hmm. um, and they'll take it out on the targeted parent. Mm -hmm. um, they may not like the color of your hair, mm -hmm. your shoes, the way you dress, the sound of your voice. But then again, it could be lack of education in terms of they don't really understand the dynamics of parental alienation and how it's harming our children. But and then you try to prove it. It's so difficult to prove parental alienation in the eyes of the courts, you know. So even if you have proven it, and a judge does have a certain amount of foreknowledge about it, you know, that's far and few between, you know. It. But the other part about it, these judges, they can listen to all the evidence, and you can have all the evidence in the world why the children should be with you. But they don't have time. They don't make time. Uh, they're in such of a rush to get through one case and on to the next one 
they basically sweep aside any evidence you may have presented in favor of the children being with you. And they go, well, no, you know what? I don't have time for this. Uh, by the way, I don't like uh, the shoes you're wearing. So I'm giving the, the child to the other parent. <clears throat> you know, and uh, that's the way it works in the courts. Yeah. You know, I just wish they would do like uh, they proposed in California a few years back where uh, you had the opportunity to have uh, child custody cases decided by a jury. Though it never uh, panned out that way, that would so be so nice. Instead of putting everything in the hands of a singular judge, you have a jury of six people to decide this issue. Uh, I agree. Um I just think family court should be abolished and take it back down to civil court with a six-man jury. I think that would be just so much more, uh, ex hopefully, expedient and over quickly. <laughs> and your evidence would be heard, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Well, lady, even heard how uh, when uh, when my former spouse uh, learned that her uh, appeal to the Hague ruling for the international courts where it was denied, she had called up, there's no lie, and I can't mention the country uh, or the, her name or anything like that, but she, and the judge actually had the evidence of this, she called up Human Services over there and says, if you make me return to the United States with my children, I will kill myself and both of the children. And I, the, I got a copy of that uh, evidence from them. And I presented it to the judge and on top of all the other stuff. And the judge says, well, it concerns me about this. But <laughs> I'm like, what planet are you on? You mm -hmm. know, if I'd have done that, you'd have taken away all my parental rights. Yeah, right. And your job and your career and everything you worked hard for would be down the toilet. Exactly. You know, so... I scratch my head at some of these judges and what's in their thought processes. So he really didn't, his, his emotion was just very nonchalant. Would you say he just, we're just going to leave her where she's at. I yeah. Mean, he didn't want to rock the boat. You know, he's like, you know what? Um, you know, it's been two years and it's so, you know, they're supposed to uh, rely upon the best interest standards of the child. But you tell me, how is it in a child's best interest to be abducted from their home, away from their uh, one parent, their extended family, mm -hmm. their friends, their school, uh, their neighborhood, and they're and taken to another country? How is it in their best interest? How is it in their best interest to have all contact with the other parent cut off completely? How is it that it's in their best interest that the parent, the abducting parent, uh, contacts the authorities where they live and says, I'm going to kill myself and the children if made to return. How are these things in the children's best interest? But that happened. And I knew that if I tried to appeal it, uh, which I could have, I would have spent probably $5,000 uh, doing the appeal process. Um, you know, and it would have had the same result. She could have gotten that order and she, she could have refused to obey it. You know, so I'd have uh, wasted $5,000. That's just it. Parents are paying so much money for these processes, and uh, they're not being followed through with. They're being handled by these uh, inexperienced judges, and uh, their dockets are so full, they're rushing through them. They don't care. 
They just want to get to the next case so they can get out to the golf course. Well, in my case, uh, that uh, the judge, uh, the first day of our uh, hearing was to make sure that we were all in attendance. And I said, well, now here's the deal. Um, they live in uh, overseas. I says, uh, to, they were ordered to come back here. However, um, there's nothing to say that they can't. Now they've uh, proven that they're, they came here. There's nothing to make them stay here. Can you collect their passports? And he said, yes. At the end of that first hearing, to ensure that we were all there, here's the, the judge uh, the, the said, okay, we're going to have our hearing on in a few days. And he got up, everybody rise. And I said, uh, judge, aren't you forgetting something? And he turns around and says, what? I said, passports? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. They're like, uh -huh. you're supposed to be a judge and you're supposed to be making notes about things and you can't even remember something so important like that. So anyways, so we uh, go through our next hearing. Um, and in that there, it was uh, about two hours long. And in this two hours long hearing, the judge thought he knew more about my case than what a panel of three judges in this other country did for over a period of a, a year and a half or so uh, who'd heard everything. He thought he was smarter than them. He had more information. He had more knowledge because uh, this was on a Friday that we did that two-hour uh, hearing. And it was, believe it or not, Father's Day that weekend. Okay. And he says, I'm going to allow you to have eight hours a day. Both uh, Saturday, I'm going to allow you, what, three or four hours on that Friday. And then eight hours a day because it is Father's Day both Saturday and Sunday. And then I would expect you guys to be back here on court on Monday. That's when he says it's in the best interest of the children to remain with the mother. It's like, uh-huh. While you uh, went and had, uh, you know, Father's Day holiday with your kids, you knew in advance you were going to rule against me and destroy my relationship with my children. Jackass. Oh, yeah. They have this already cut out and predetermined what they're doing with these parents. And he I thought mean, he was doing me such a great justice by saying, hey, you, I'm going to let you have the kids for Saturday and Sunday because it's Father's Day, knowing uh, that this was going to be the last time I'd ever see him. Well, he's going to hell if he isn't there already. I hope he is. He was coming old. Uh, excuse my French when I say this. Going right ahead. Old, that old bastard, I hope he's dead. He was, he was on he was in his uh, mid to mid sixties at that time, and that was fifteen years ago. So there's a possibility, and I hope yeah. Saint Peter uh, looks at him and say, "Nope, down button on this elevator." Right, right. Well, if it's any consolation, um, I would say about a year or less after our hearing, the judge died, and uh, my kids were so happy that he died because he did so much destruction to our family. Oh, I hear you. You know, the funny part about it, um, I don't typically hate people. <laughs> I I try to uh, put it in such a way, I don't hate this person. Instead, I hate what they do or have done. Mm -hmm. However, and so there's very few people in my life I've ever hated. Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, I don't even hate my ex-wife uh, for what she's done. I just hate what she has done and continues to do. 
But that judge is one of the, the short list of people that I can honestly say I hate with a passion. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know, agree. He had it. He had it his power. He, he had all the evidence, you know, and yet he decided to destroy my uh, my family. And the thing is, you know, they make these rulings. And I remember, you know, walking out of the courthouse with my attorney because the judge had ruled, oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to make new visitation orders. And, and in fact, he increased my visitation. And I thought, oh, I was so happy. I was so happy. And my attorney, she just, she just looked like, you know, flat affect, like, you know, and she told me later, she said, I knew your ex was not going to comply with this. That's why I wasn't happy. I wasn't acting happy. I just had a feeling he was not going to comply. And that's what these exes are doing. They're not complying with uh, the right thing that should be done. And these judges don't enforce anything. No. No, they can threaten all they want to, but in the end, they're just like uh, the best interest standard of the child. Uh, they can threaten all they want, but in the end, they're nothing more than hollow words that mean nothing, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so it's like, why are you even on the bench? Uh, you, you have an oath that you swore to protect uh, the people that came into your uh, courtroom. You have a duty that you uh, swore to as well. But uh, there's a lot of these, and don't get me wrong, you've got some great family court judges out there, but you've got some others that are flat-out jackasses and couldn't find their butt with both hands, mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, it makes me wonder, what are you doing on the bench? Is it because of the money you uh, make? Is mm -hmm. it because of the fact that you don't have, you got all your weekends off? Is it because you get the prestige uh, that you've never had before and being a judge uh, allows you that? You know, they say the a bad judge is nothing more than a byproduct of a bad attorney. Mm -hmm. And I believe that. Oh, that's that's a good point. That's really is uh, because they're also, as you well know, they're contributing to their friends judge campaigns. Yeah, that's well, they... it's interesting you say you mentioned about campaigns, Marianne, because I remember here a couple of a number of years ago. I had uh, my one of my attorneys and stuff. He says, you know, not all judges uh, are elected onto the bench. There's a great many of them that are actually appointed. And I said, really? And it kind of made me think that that might be true because when was the last time you received notice when a judge in your jurisdiction was coming up for re-election? Myself, I've never uh, received a notice like that so I can be there vote whether the person should stay or go but the point i was making that was that he says here's the deal with these appointments he says um you get some of these bad attorneys they they uh, are in front of the same judges uh, week after week and they do such a poor job for their clients that these judges are sick and tired of listening to these guys and seeing how badly they represent their clients well, there's not a lot they could do to them. So what they do is they go to their higher ups and say, hey, we got to do something about this guy. And what they do to get him out of the courtrooms, they appoint him as judges. Believe yes. it or not. I believe it. You know, that's one of the things that they do. <laughs> so that's why I say bad attorney, bad judge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, 
or they're, you know, like, uh, so you've got an old judge and his kid is running for judge because that's what they do. And um, these attorneys will kick in for their kids judge campaign. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a way to look up these uh, monies that are, um, that are being put into these judge campaigns. And I found out that my opposing attorney attorney only kicked in a thousand dollars for this judge's kids judge campaign. When you would think if I was an attorney wanting, you know, like favors off this new judge coming in, I would have, I would have given uh, him or her a $5,000 donation. You know, wouldn't you, I mean, what's, what's a thousand bucks. That's a drop in the bucket for these people. Well, for me, that'd be a life savings. Uh, you right. know, like say, I'm as broke as a $2 dog most times, you know, uh, but even if I had the money, I'm so cheap. Um, mm-hmm. You know, um, it's a type of a deal that I would probably still only give them 50 bucks. You know, I just don't like to spend any more money than I have to. Uh, yeah, exactly. And case in point, why do you think I went with Craigslist years ago? <laughs> it was cheaper and I learned my lesson. Oh, uh, you know, there's no, you know, when you're going into this, a lot of parents don't know where to begin and where to start and, and what to do. And then they make, they make these, you know, mistakes. It's all in hindsight now. Well, it, um, you know, I mean, uh, it's hindsight and mistakes. Uh, and I know this is kind of a weird way to look at it. Um, like the person that you married who turned out to be an alienator. And we know that it, uh, most times, not always, is an underlying mental health issue. Um, and two of the most prominent ones are narcissists, which is a buzzword these days, mm-hmm. but it's also borderline personality. Those are the two most common uh, traits of an alienator, along with a sprinkled in with some others. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But, you know, we don't know they, they're afflicted with this underlying mental health issue when we first meet him because they tell us all the perfect things that we want to hear that we're dying to hear. You know, and uh, they're smiling with us. They're showering us with the attention that we're longing for. So, uh, before we know it, we're ensnared into their web of deceit. Well, the problem with that is that uh, slowly over time, that mask uh, starts to slip down and they reveal who they are. Before then, by then, we've typically got children involved. And so it's harder for us to escape. And even if we do, we're having to leave our children behind most of the the time. Mm -hmm. And it breaks most parents' hearts to leave our children behind. But we have to, if we want to survive and try to uh, uh, bring bring ways to get them out of the mess, too. So when I, as far as regrets, even like with me, uh, do I regret uh, being with my former spouse? Um. In certain ways, yes. In certain ways, I don't, because I got a beautiful daughter out of the deal, mm-hmm. you know, and so I don't regret that aspect of it. And I wouldn't have had her if I hadn't met the alienator, mm-hmm. you know. So how do you regret some something that uh, produced a, a beautiful child? Mm-hmm. You know, kind of a weird way to look at it, huh? Well, a lot of people have said that. 
really on my podcast. A lot of people have said that. I remember going into the grocery store with my oldest and she's about seven, maybe. And uh, we were finishing up with the divorce. And she said, but mommy, you didn't have to divorce him, divorce dad. And I said, please don't ask me to stay with a man that treats me bad. I won't ever ask it of you. And mm -hmm. she's super smart. So, you know, she never brought it up again. But I had to mm -hmm. tell her, you know, I would never ask any of my kids to stay with someone who was treating them bad. No. I mean, oh, you have to have more self-value than that. Yeah, right. Right. And with these personality disorders, I don't think these young people are being taught what they really need to know when they're out there dating and learning about these personality disorders. Some of them, they, they break up with them. But then, you know, some of these personality disorders are so smooth. They know how to rope you in and, you know, keep you happy for a couple of years. And then, you know, the atomic bomb goes off. Right, exactly. And I've often said that these alienators, um, outside of wearing that mask of deception, they're probably some of the most prolific actors in the world. I mean, they can tell you, you can be in a closed in room and they can tell you that the sky is purple Mm -hmm. And they, they're so believable in what they tell you, and they keep the active for days or months or years until they're ready to reveal themselves. But uh, if they tell you the sky is purple, you believe them, and you don't even bother to look out the window to check. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and so that's kind of what happens with these alienators. I mean, they're believable. Mm-hmm. Or you, know? you have a, you may have a disagreement or an argument with them, and they may buy you a present or bring home flowers and say, "I'm sorry, I mean that." You know, I'm having a bad day. You know, you know, like everyone's making excuses, and then for some reason we're buying into these excuses when we should just say, "This has now happened for the tenth time. I'm out of here." Mm -hmm. It is, you know. I mean. Uh... You can't allow yourself to be mentally, emotionally, psychologically, or even physically abused by the person that's supposed to love you. Mm -hmm. um, I can understand, okay, uh, occasionally we do have a bad day where frustrations and stresses mount up on us, uh, and it takes its toll, and we take it out on the people that uh, we love. That happens from time to time. But when it's an ongoing basic uh, basis, that's when we have to look around and reevaluate our relationship with that person. Is it worth it for us to be a rug where someone can wipe their feet on all the time? Or do we have to, do we have enough self-esteem that says enough is enough? It's time for me to start packing. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you also have another thing that plays into, you know, trying to stay in that marriage is you have relatives saying, you know, we're, we're this religion, you you can't leave. You you can't leave because you know we're this religion. This will be an embarrassment. You you got to stay in this. You you know, uh, people are under pressure to to stay in there and suffer through it. Well, I do agree in the sanctity of marriage, and I do believe that they should be lifelong. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, now you're bringing up religion. <laughs> Now, here's a here's a whammy I knew. Like, there are some religions that actually say it's okay to get divorced if you're a man. Mm 
but if you're a woman, it's uh, sin. Now, go figure that one out. Mm -hmm. That's why I say people, religions distort uh, the fact of marriages. Now, I understand that if you're uh, being physically abused, sexually abused, or uh, mentally or emotionally to an extreme, I understand that uh, I think even God would say, hey, you have my blessing. Get out of there. Save yourself because that's all you're doing is you're saving your life, mm-hmm. you know, from another individual. But uh, in general, there's no reason to get divorced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, get some therapy, counseling, whatever. But the uh, bad part is with these people that have those underlying mental health issues, uh, such as uh, narcissism, borderline personality, whatever, there is no working through it. Fact is, narcissists, uh, there is no treatment to date uh, for it. At least with some of these other issues, uh, um, you know, they have therapy, they have drugs uh, that they can help them uh, maintain a certain semblance of life. Mm-hmm. But narcissism, it's, they don't have it. Mm-mm. Now, I wonder, though, if you gave them an antidepressant, if that would at least tone them down a bit. I don't know. I, I don't know because um, when I was going to have the second one, uh, you, you know, I could tell my ex was, you know, well, he, he wasn't my ex and he was my husband at the time, but he was, you know, down in the dumps and I could I could tell he was depressed. I used to be a psych nurse, but I said, hey, mm-hmm. why don't you take my Zola, finish it off and see how you feel on it. See if this helps. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, um, he went from being, um, I would say emotionally, well, he had been emotionally abusive and whatnot, but he had really mellowed out. Really? And I really liked him on that. It's like, wow, stay on it. No, he didn't like the way he said he felt fuzzy. And I said, you're supposed to feel fuzzy. You'll feel like that for at least three weeks, but then that will level off and go away. Uh-huh. Right. And he, he just wouldn't stay on it. Now I'll, I'll be honest with you. Had he taken that and and that improved his personality, I probably could have hung in there. Mm-hmm. Possibly. Have uh, you ever thought about submitting that findings to, uh, you know, a psychology association? I've never thought of that. I would, because it, they may not have explored that option. And if it can help, uh, why not? Uh, you know, let them know about it. Hey, this was starting to help. And this is what I saw before, during, and after. Mm-hmm. Well, so um, I, don't, I don't know who I would contact or how I, you know, how you get into contact with those people. American Psychiatric Association would be a good place to start. Because mm-hmm. maybe there's other and people. Go ahead. You can even Google who are the uh, psychological uh, associations out there, or you can even call one of the uh, psychologists in your area and ask them to give you the, the referral names of some associations. Mm-hmm. But it would definitely be worthwhile to explore. But I, all I know is that they say there is no treatment for narcissists. Mm-hmm. Well, so apparently your ex-husband wasn't a narcissist if, he, if that seemed to have helped him on whatever was wrong with him. Well, I think he got worse when he remarried the woman that worked in the courthouse. Then I think that just blossomed into that, you know. Uh, and I bet she was the one who was, uh, he was filing his uh, paperwork uh, with, huh? 
Oh yes, and I'm sure she she picked out you know the perfect attorney who was friends with the judge for years as they worked in the DA's department before he became a judge, and she had told me twice, and I have it in transcript where she told me I know a lot of people in the courthouse and I'm friends with all the judges, so I'm like, what does that mean? What what is she saying? I mean, like, because I was so naive, I did not know what was coming. Right, right. Yeah. You know, it's kind of funny, and uh, I'm not trying to, to uh, uh, paraphrase that, but you and I were enjoying our conversation. We are able to smile. We are able to joke about uh, some of the things uh, that uh, transpired, uh, like, as an example, with uh, uh, your husband's new flame. Uh, they worked at the courthouse. But there's so many uh, uh, targeted parents out there that, you know, they haven't uh, been able to heal from the scars mm -hmm. of their pain. And so the smile and laughter has kind of left them. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, for them to get back to that point, you wonder what's it going to take uh, before they start to see some sense of normalcy in their life again. You know, we all had to work through this. I don't know how long it took you, but it, it just took... Um, you know, I was, I had a very good family doctor, you know, and I asked to go to a psychiatrist. I got on antidepressants and anti-anxieties when I was going through family court, because it was that bad when mm -hmm. you have an opposing attorney gaslighting you and lying. And, and my attorney prepared me. He said, these, him and his wife are a problem to the family law community because of their perpetual lying. So I was well aware, but at least I was, I, I felt physically and mentally prepared because he never made me cry on the stand. I was not going to let that happen. Mm. I mean, he was screaming at me on the stand that I didn't know uh, there was something in the, in the first amendment. Like, I don't know, in, in grade school, they never taught us the first, these, all these amendments. You know, we're not in law school here. We're, we're only in grade school. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> However, when I, had reported him to the new governor and I, he actually brought it up and he went to say the governor governor's name. And I went, I went ahead and say, said it. I, I said, the honorable Thomas Wolf. And he throws his, he was very dramatic. Talk about a narcissist. He throws through his hands mm. in the air. Who is this Tom Wolf? And the whole courtroom bust out laughing. It's like, this guy was voted in six to seven months ago where have you been <laughs> and he and he didn't uh, realize that was your governor huh? no no in fact in fact, <laughs> the lady who was typing you know the stenographer she's looking up at me and she's going <laughs> like that was a good one you got him <laughs> you know the thing is with a narcissist that's a, he might he must not be a narcissist because we know that narcs a narcissist uh um they gravitate towards wanting acceptance and admiration from the people that they look up to. Mm -hmm. So if this person didn't even know who his governor is, obviously he wasn't a narcissist because he would have been gravitating towards wanting that person to uh, give him recognition and admiration. Yeah, that is weird. Uh, okay, then how if we call him a sociopath? I mean, that's a possibility. Like yeah. I say, I mean, you've got so many different underlying mental health issues i mean sociopath 
um, borderline personality, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, uh, bipolar. I mean, I don't know how many they've got. I'm in the wrong business. I need to be in the drug manufacturing uh, business, oh, yeah. uh, pharmaceuticals, because with all the new ones that they come out with, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah, we're in the wrong line of business because when I was a psych nurse and I was starting out, well, I, I had done a year of med surge, then I switched to psych. And so, you know, the term personality disorder came up and I said to what, to the one nurse at the table, I said, what is a personality disorder? See, this is just how young people just don't know. I was like, uh, I was already unfortunately married and I was 28, 29 years old. And I'm asking what a personality disorder is. And she said, mm-hmm. oh, well, that's just a nice word for asshole. <laughs> I said, oh, well, but I mean, like, let's broaden that. What, what, you know, I mean, plus, you know, we did have borderline personality disorders on our unit, but they were the really chronic ones that, that were not as um, slick as the ones that are destroying our lives. So, you know, there's a difference between the two. Sometimes you have chronic ones and then you have, you know, maybe, I don't know acute for lack of a better word that are just that are able to slide by without having to be hospitalized and just right you know hold jobs right. and here's the thing about uh, those people with these uh, underlying mental health issues everyone uh, goes well my alienator is narcissist my alienator is this my alienator is that all alienators have it mm-hmm. no that's not true because not all alienators have uh, underlying mental health issues, and those that do have it, not all of them are alienators. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, so it's kind of a, you know, a weird thing there. Uh, it makes you wonder if they can't dive into it, that. Okay, we know the two main uh, aspects of parental alienation. The two main ones for those that have the mental health issues is borderline personality and narcissism. But on the other side, people that have borderline personality and narcissism aren't necessarily alienators. Why is that? It'd be interesting to have them dive into that. But the other aspect of it, and I've written about this uh, uh, before, is that, you know, there's more than just uh, to an alienator. Everyone thinks, okay, they, they have to be narcissist or borderline personality or have some kind of mental health issue. No. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be that they have a sense of self-entitlement where mm-hmm. they should be able to do whatever to whomever, wherever and whenever they want without repudiation. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't involve mental health. Okay. That's just self-entitlement. Mm-hmm. But the other aspect of it is that they may have unresolved trauma that happened as a child that uh, caused them to react in such a manner, such as, as an example, it may be caused by their upbringing that, they had a family member, maybe a mother or a father who was uh, abusive, domineering, uh, committed these things uh, w- within their family. And they grew up thinking that these are normal traits mm-hmm. that are acceptable. So just because uh, you have an alienator in your life, you can't uh, prejudge them unless you're a doctor and they are willing to be subjected to a doctor's, uh, you know, examination, you know. Mm-hmm. Myself, I I don't know what uh, kind of a nutbag my uh, former spouse is, and I mean I su- I suspect, but uh, who knows? 
It could be the way she was raised. Right. And I know by the way my ex was raised, I mean, he grew up in a decent environment. His parents weren't, you know, physically abusive. There was no, you know, no horrific trauma that I know of that he went through. Um, mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, he, he is super smart. And I think they... Uh, maybe have catered to that. Some parents will say, oh, Johnny is so smart. Johnny, you did great in school today, even though Johnny just watered, you know, fed, fed the fish for the teacher. You know what I'm saying? K kids are being right. praised. And I think maybe that's that could have been going on. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's really, it's difficult. I, I wish I was a medical doctor, even like as an example. You know, in my books and stuff, um, I actually have a disclaimer in there because it sounds like I, I know what the heck I'm talking about. And I'm just about I have enough knowledge to be dangerous. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, but it's uh, because I've studied uh, from what the experts say, you know, on these different topics and stuff. And that's how I'm able to come together with my books. Um, but I put a disclaimer in there that says, hey, I ain't no doctor. Mm -hmm. I ain't a uh, the, the legal practitioner. I am not in law enforcement. If you need help, these are this book is for educational purposes mm -hmm. only. You know, if you need professional help, seek it out. Mm -hmm. You know, so you you know, unless I put the PhD behind my name, you know, uh, I want people to understand. Though these are real things taken from the experts, you know, they uh, I'm still not the expert. I'm just conveying. Mm -hmm. Well, when you wrote your new book that's coming out. Uh, parental Alienation Unmasked, Understanding, Coping, and Moving Forward as a Family. That's coming out soon in June, right? Yeah, actually, I have uh, just received uh, chapters, what, six through nine that I have to review and get back to the copy editors. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, then hopefully this weekend uh, or later this week, I'll finish up the rest of it so that sometime I'm hoping, that God willing, and the creek don't rise, that... Right. Um, that the book will uh, be self-published and it'll go on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, mm -hmm. uh, you know? So it has a lot of topics in there. It uh, talks about what parental alienation is. And I devote whole chapters to the different topics, mm -hmm. uh, but it talks about um, the emotional statuses of uh, the, the targeted parent of the child, the uh, emotional. It talks about, the possibilities, what causes the alienator to act out in the way they do, whether it's uh, narcissism, whether it's bipolar, whether it's, uh, you know, um, borderline personality or self-entitlement or whatever. It talks about all these different things. It talks about how to cope. It talks about reunification techniques and things like that. And then I, you know, I have a few other topics uh, in there as well. No, that sounds really good. How long is the book? Oh, you probably don't know that yet, huh? Uh, as far as actual pages, I'm guesstimating between, well, it'll be at least 250 pages. Oh, that's um, good. Possibly as many as 285, I'm thinking, but I won't know that until probably yeah. uh, the end of this week. Now, how long did that take you to write? I'd like to tell you, though. Know, it took me 10 years, but I haven't been writing except since 2017. I don't know. I 
I basically what I do is I research a lot of topics and I read a lot of stuff as an example from Dr. Amy Baker, Randy, mm-hmm. Dr. Randy Fine and people like that. And I just kind of collect, uh, I'm a collector of uh, different uh, things, right? And if you saw my computer, you'd be horrified. You'd be wanting to run as fast as you could because it's kind of like my kitchen table. I got a stack of documents on my table. Um, you know, that's uh, probably five inches thick that I uh, won't move from the kitchen table because I know I may need them uh, uh, very shortly. Well, that's the same thing with the articles and stuff. I'll take an article from Dr. Baker, I'll take one from Randy Fine, I'll find a correlation, and then I come up with my own twist on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I've got it, and once the, once it's done, then I basically will put them into another folder for future reference of what I can, if I need them again for another mm-hmm. uh, article. Because a lot of people say, well, gee, how, how do you write a book? And I said, well, I was just starting with chronological order. <laughs> That's the only way I could keep things straight in my head as to how things played out. Oh, well, exactly. You know, that's kind of like, uh, you know, uh, when I did my memoir earlier this year, believe it or not, I wrote a 71,000 page memoir, the Stolen Memories book. Mm-hmm. And I actually did it in three weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh People go, you can't write a, a, a memoir in three weeks. It's like, yeah, you can. Mm-hmm. And he says, how? And the thing, it's all up here. You have all your memories of what happened to you. You have all your core documents. You have all, all your emails, all that stuff. And so you're able to reference it. And so I, what I did, I took it right from the beginning mm-hmm. of uh, what happened. I mean, I, I started off with, uh, well, this is what's happening now. But then when I think back, and that's when chapter one really begins, mm-hmm. you know, and I take it to when I first met uh, my wife at the time, I take it to, to where I discovered that there's some situations going on with her, uh, you know, as far as her mood swings and anger issues and all this other stuff. And then I just took it chapter by chapter, just like it was living my life. Well, that's the same thing with the book. A nonfiction book. You take it chapter by chapter, and and you know that. Um, how many books have you written? Uh, I'm on my third one. Well, oh, yeah? I, the third one will probably come out at maybe around the same time yours is, or it might come out in July. <laughs> but you know, it's just you know a matter of getting everything together and making sure everything flows that that people can understand it and identify with it and. And to help it help people, my first book was like a handbook to help people through the family court navigate through this uh, destructive system. And as I've found out, and the more I've done these podcasts and talked to people, is just to recommend just stay out of the court system if you can. But unfortunately, as you know, you can get sucked into it with a personality disorder. You know, because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are co-parenting pretty decently with their kids after divorce. I know of two sets of parents that I know personally, and they're getting along. And those kids are, you know, they're adults now, and they're not as, they're not damaged like uh, what these kids have been uh, hauled through family court. You know, just don't go in there. If you, if you can, it's just going to be a waste of money, a, a lot of frustration 
the, the greed with these attorneys that are also stoking the fires is what I noticed my ex's attorney was doing. He he thoroughly enjoyed filing these motions and getting them revved, revved up to file more motions to come after me. I'm like, mm-hmm. So the bad part is attorneys, um, you've got just like judges, you've got good ones, you've got bad ones. Uh, my last attorney, I tell you what, I'd recommend him from here to the moon. Um, he was that good. I call him the gentle giant because here's a guy, he's probably six foot seven, six foot eight, uh, went to college uh, on a basketball scholarship, got his degree here in Colorado, wound up going over to Cambridge over in England getting another degree there, came back, started uh, doing uh, law. And he's a gentle giant because he knows how to talk to a judge. Um, I remember in uh, my modification hearing with him, he was uh, talking to the judge in such a manner I'd never heard an attorney talk to a judge before. It was almost like he was a, a personal friend of the judge and they were sitting across from each other having a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it was he was explaining things to her about all this stuff and he's going your honor frankly we don't know what to do uh, because uh, his uh, ex-wife isn't complying with any of the orders of uh, that granted her uh, you know custody you know can you help us mm-hmm. and I just said yeah I can help you you've got the kids now mm-hmm. she's going to bring them back and like I say that never happened that's why there's a felony warrant for international interference of parental responsibilities is still hanging over her head if she ever comes back to America. Interesting. And the funny part about that is uh, because she was ordered. That's why uh, they did issue that uh, warrant. And then they did upgrade it from an F5 to an an F4. And and, um, they were supposed to uh, be um, getting a red notice out for her to have her arrested over in the country where she's at and then extradited back here. Mm-hmm. But uh, they haven't done it. And I can't get the district attorney's office to even respond back to me. And this was after I had uh, written to President Trump in 2017. And yes, it, though it took four months, I got a response back from the White House. Mm-hmm. You know, who in turn got in touch with the FBI uh, field office in L.A., who in turn got in touch with the district attorney's office in Denver. Wow. Uh, and that's when they upgraded the felony from one to another. And says, yeah, and they called me uh, one time, says, we are going to get a, a red notice out. Nothing sent. They won't return a call, an email, nothing. So needless to say, I'm the victim of a crime, mm-hmm. uh, an international crime. And yet uh, they won't get off their uh, butts uh, and do anything about it, even though they said, we're going to, we've got this felony warrant for it. It is an extraditable offense. We are going to issue the red notice, and they don't do nothing. Isn't that a shame? Yes. And guess what? I ain't afraid to write to politicians. I wrote to Trump. I wrote to uh, congressmen. I wrote to uh, senators. Mm-hmm. And I just wrote to our governor again, this new governor, I should say. And I also fired off a letter since I've already done it once to one president. I figured, what the hell, I'll write off a letter to uh, Biden and see what kind of a response I get there. Yeah. Hey, even a blind squirrel gets a nut now and then. 
Right, right. Hey, it doesn't hurt to ask. All they can do is say no or nothing. You know, I, I always encourage people to write, you know, complain, complain all the time. I have put in all my complaints on Google reviews, along with little uh, transcripts, not all, not the whole 30 page transcript, but just like maybe, you know, two pages sure. of where the lies are. And um, I've gotten over 30,000 views. So uh, that's, that's warning people of this corruption of these certain people. Right. And that's the thing there. Uh, we need to, outside of yourself and others, uh, we need to get more people involved. And I mean, the movement is gathering steam every day, but we need to get more, uh, you know, uh, more boots in the trench, so to speak. And that means, you know, and I understand the reason a lot of parents don't get involved. They're going through this, you know, sometimes the pain is too much and they don't want to relive their, uh, the worst of their situation on a daily basis. I understand that. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, for those that, that uh, are going through that, what I have to ask, what are you doing to help yourself as far mm -hmm. as the area of self-healing? I know that for myself, um, when uh, the abduction took place in 2007, all the way up until 2016, I was a basket case. Mm -hmm. I really was. I mean, I couldn't think straight. I, uh, I mean, I became a stone cold alcoholic, mm -hmm. you know, and I continued to drink afterwards. But um, what would help me and we all have our ways of self healing was when I got involved with Facebook and started writing my reflections. Mm -hmm. You know, I there was times that I was writing three and four, 600 word reflections a day. And I did that for the first several months. Mm -hmm. You know, and that in time with constant writing and stuff, it allowed me to take all this toxic emotions out of me and put it out there. And so, but other people, writing may not be their forte, may not be something they enjoy. What about going to the gym and exercising? What about um, getting, taking a cooking class? What about having a, a fun night out with family or friends that you don't even think about what you're going through. Uh, instead, you're just out there letting your mind relax in uh, the company of uh, other people that you enjoy being around. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you can distract yourself enough, you can start to heal. When you start to heal, now you can get the boots on the ground and in the game and start helping to make this problem go away. Mm -hmm. You know, oh. but also... You know, also, some of these people are afraid of their former spouse. They go, well, I know, and the same thing is happening with my Facebook account. I know my former spouse is uh, uh, monitoring me, but uh, and she's probably, like a lot of people, she's got a Facebook account, I'm sure, but under a pseudonym. Right. You know, but so they're probably going, well, my account's being monitored by my ex-husband or my ex-wife or my former spouse and attorney or one of their family and friends. So I got to be really careful. I can't even comment on a, um, you know, a post that I see. I can't even click the like button because I'm afraid they're going to find out about it and they're going to take it in and use it against me in court. They're probably right. Mm -hmm. Me, I really don't give a rat's tooth because, yeah. you know, what more can you do to me? My, uh, my kids are aged out of the system anyway. But even before then, it's like, I'm going to still put it out there. I just won't put your uh, exact location or uh, your name or 
-hmm. whatever else like that. I won't do that because I know her. She'd have me, she'd sue me, Mm -hmm. you know, without a doubt. Plus, at the same time, you get some of these uh, people that are very passionate about this whole situation. And they might go, well, you know what? I can't get to my ex-boss, but I can get to his. And I don't want anything bad to happen to her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, but that won't stop me from writing about the rest of it. That's right. And I like how you said that, you know, we're able to talk about this and and smile. And I've told people I've developed a dark sense of humor over watching these judges as I have court watched and listen to my other friends going through this. And I, I've i said even about my other judge, I said, well, I must remind me, of, I must remind him of some girl that dumped him right before prom. I mean, you got to have some type of, you know, I mean, why are they being this so crappy to you? And it's like, well, they, you know, I mean, oh, you know, and then what else I found out was there is a side door to that courtroom that leads right into the club. So as soon as they get out of the courtroom, they go right down that hallway and, and the, the the door looks wood to, to match the walls. So they know how to, you know, um, get there and start drinking. And that's how I know I, that's right. Uh, and, and let them let them. Hey, that's how that my judge died. He died of pancreatitis really? and so on Facebook. You know, they announced his death, so I responded with the emojis of celebration and, and clapping. And I, I, hey, you know, I mean, um, for instance, and along with the dark sense of humor, it was my son's 16th birthday party, and he had all his friends over, and I, and I wasn't recording. I, I just wish I was recording this because we were singing happy birthday. He jumps out of his chair and he says, I hate my dad's big, fat, ugly attorney. And I'm so glad the judge died. And I'm like, I didn't, I was just like, I didn't know what to say. But the next time in court, the ex brings up, well, she she made fun of the judge's death. And the judge listening to this really just blew him off. She wasn't um, entertaining him. Probably because she didn't like him either. I'm thinking he probably and probably was thinking. Uh, probably thought, "What's that got to do with the price of tea in China?" Nothing. Right, right. Move on to the, the case of hand. Right, because you know, I think, in my opinion, the child support judge <laughs> wanted to have his position, and mm. she she was stuck dealing with child support cases. And that probably, I, I mean, this is my theory, but you know, maybe she was glad he was dead too. It's possible. It's possible. You know, I mean, um, I wouldn't want their judge myself. Uh, in fact, is uh, it's hard for me to uh, be judgmental uh, because I, you know, there's so many things that, uh, you know, are hidden from, you know, as an example, you see something on the news. Uh, well, this person uh, beat up someone. You know what? They deserve to go to jail. Like, why? Um, mm-hmm. Do you know the facts of what surrounded that? Right. Do you know right. what was in their heart, their mind? Do you know if that other person provoked them to that point of anger? You know, I can't be judgmental unless mm-hmm. I have all the facts. Plus, at the same time, you know, that's uh, I keep saying. Can you peer through someone's door and really see what's happening? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, because of the fact that you see someone that's so nice on the streets, but yet um behind that closed door 
they're like a Dr. Jekyll and Mrs. Mm -hmm. Mr. Hyde type person. And they're creating havoc with their spouse or their family and stuff. And so when the spouse is the victim spouse is trying to, you know, uh, uh, tell people about what's happening is like, you know, they're not believed because, oh, how could such of a sweet, nice person do this kind of stuff? I don't believe you. You know, that's why you can't be judgmental. Right. Right. I mean, I, I would have to know the two sides of the coin. I always say there's two sides of the coin and you just don't run off blatantly running with whatever you heard first. Come on. Exactly. exactly. You know, and that's like these uh, parents that are out there, you know, I mean, you know, there's that dog of mine. She's barking at the neighbors. <laughs> and as you can tell, I've got my back door open. <laughs> that's okay that's not bad <laughs> you know but uh these parents you know they're they're going through all this terrible time the emotional toll upon each of them unless you've actually lived it you don't know it right and so it's like uh for these people uh that uh, uh talk amongst each other that aren't living it oh did you hear what so-and-so is saying they're crying about this again mm. You know, I just don't believe it's that bad. How do you know unless you've lived it? Right. You know, and it, it frustrates me. And I'm sure it frustrates a lot of people because when you're, especially when you're in the height of uh, this uh, mental and emotional torture and abuse and stuff, you need someone not so much to talk to you about it. Sometimes just being in, having someone in the same room that we can talk to and has an ear to listen to us that's all we need mm -hmm. you know many times you know but uh, you get some people i'm tired of listening to you you know that's all you want to talk about well gee that's because it's therapy for me it's my type of therapy because i get to get it out of my system yeah you know, that's why you get a lot of parents myself included that when i was in the height of all this and I don't know. I'm going to ask you a personal question, Marianne. Okay. And you're probably like the rest of us. Uh, your husband wasn't there. Infuriated you. Was doing some terrible things wrong. Did you ever have imaginary conversations with that person so that you could vent, so you could put out things like, why in the hell did you do this stuff to me? Why won't you stop? You know, When you're talking to someone who can't hear you, who isn't even there and knowing you're not going to get an answer, but you, you still have those conversations. Yeah. Did you ever do that? Well, I mean, I had, I had a really good friend. She's deceased now, but I would talk to her three times a day and she was a psych nurse and she was seasoned. <laughs> so I, I could call her and say, why is he doing this? What should I do? What do I do next? I don't know what to do, you know? And, um, I, I just, uh, I, I had that to fall back on, you know, but mm -hmm. for people that are alone and shot off from their families, because a lot of their families are like, I don't want to hear this again. Okay, we already mm -hmm. know you're in court. Do we have to relive this? You know, it's like, mm -hmm. um, you know, I thought blood was thicker than water. And I, you know, there was a time blood was thicker than water. Now it's not. Mm -hmm. But exactly. Uh, well, it's a become a meat world. Yes. Yes. It's too bad. It's too bad. The selfishness in this world is the cause of these personality disorders on top of the family court generating more personality disorders to come out 
to do the same thing to somebody else so they can end up back in family court 20 years later or so, and they keep that wheel going. And if people right. would learn just to just stay out, uh, you know, hey, personality disorder, let's just stay out of family court. Let's just, you know, we got to force this to work it work together. We got we have to force it to work together. So what are we going to mm-hmm. do until you break the law with custodial interference? Then there's the problem. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the other thing about it. Go back into history and find out when did we establish family courts? It really, in terms of how long we've been in existence, it hadn't been that long. If you wanted to divorce and uh, child custody was to be decided, it went through the church. But then once we got into family, uh, invented family courts in the uh, 1900s, well, people started learning that, hey, we can make money off this deal. And it wasn't until the late, 80s, I think it was, that's when it really took off. Um, That's how we went from being uh, a money industry to being even further to the point that now we're a $60 billion a year industry because everyone's got their hands out there wanting the money. uh, Going, Well, gee, what kind of services can I provide? Ah, Gee, there's child psychology. There's mental health counseling. There is uh, attorneys, there are uh, guardian ad litems, there's uh, custody evaluators, there's, and the list goes on and on. Oh, yeah. Everyone has got their hands in the pool. And I agree with you. Get rid of the family courts in many respects, especially when it comes to child custody matters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because I think they actually do more harm than good. And I've often said this, depending upon the judge, the family courts are nothing more than enablers of the alienator mm-hmm. because it's uh, they'll rule in their favor and it's given the green light to the alienator saying, hey, I got the courts on my side, so I'm going to continue and even oh. make it even worse on the actions I'm committing. Definitely, definitely. And when the judge writes no contact orders for either mother or father saying, no contact via landline, iPhone, iPad, and no Mother's Day or Father's Day, whatever they write. And they'll write that too. People don't realize. Or even go as far as to say no holidays at all. Then you know that judge is an alienator. He's the one uh, perpetuating this alienating behavior because he is identifying with the personality disorder. This judge himself is a wacko. And he's, he can identify with the attorney wacko who's stoking the flames and sees the mother or father who has a personality disorder and they identify with them. Right. And when these judges rule in such a manner, um, there was something I was uh, reading here oh, a month or two ago, and I'd read something uh, similar to it uh, a few years ago, was that, do you know that um, what is it? 86%. I believe it's 86%. I could be wrong, but it's like 86% of all people that are incarcerated in our nation's jails and prisons come from a single parent home. Mm-hmm. Now it doesn't talk about uh, breaking it down even further. How many of those 86%, uh, how many of them actually came from an alienated single parent home? That mm-hmm. would be interesting to find out. 
because also if you kind of and I'm putting that out there because of what you were talking we were talking about with the judge when they put no contact orders out there well now it truly has become a single parent home and you're adding to the situation where these children grow up not in one of the aspects uh, among many is lack of respect for authority figures mm -hmm. so they go out there and it's like they'll tell a cop screw you Oh, they'll tell the judge oh, yeah. the same thing. Yes. They'll go ahead and have this sense of entitlement that, you know what, I'll do what I want, and you can't touch me until they go to prison. But if the judge would have uh, says, you know what, the child deserves both parent in their life, I'm not going to issue a no-contact order unless it can be proven that it is an extreme uh, health risk uh, to the child mentally, emotionally, psychologically, sexually, or physically. That's the only way you're going to get a no contact order out. Of you know, otherwise our prison population is going to continue to expand. Right. And it's expanding also because of foster care. A lot of those kids in there are products of foster care. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's, I'm sure that's another podcast in itself, but you know, when you brought up um, not having respect for authority, what what you just said hap actually happened when one of my kids totaled his vehicle and the older brother showed up and walked up to the state trooper and said, fuck off. And I'm like, and I said, well, why did he do that? And I, I don't know. I don't know. He just said it. So the trooper told him to go stand over there. So then he comes back up, tells the trooper to F off again. Then the trooper said, go home, go home now. So I thought that over long and hard because, you know, I was not, I was not allowed to raise these kids. Had I been allowed to raise these kids, they would have been, that never would have happened. So I called the, the police barracks and I said, you know, I don't know who the trooper was that handled this case, but I want to apologize. And I described the situation and what this kid said. And he goes, I, oh, I know who the trooper is. I will tell him that I'll tell him exactly what you said. I said, I want to add that had I been allowed to raise these kids the way they should have been raised, they would not have talked to you like that. So I totally apologize for his behavior because that never, ever would have happened. Mm -hmm. Ever. <laughs> well, exactly. You know, I mean, uh, they just don't get it. No, no. And and the police have the family court system to thank for these uh, belligerent individuals that are, you know, causing whatever havoc. Yeah, thank thank the judges. It's a revolving door of havoc. Yeah, and you know the way things are going. In all honesty, uh, between uh, these mass shootings, and I, I know as 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 of recently as this month, we were up to 199 mass shootings. But then I've looked at uh, the way the family courts are run, how uh, our legislation is uh, regarding families and stuff like that, and how. Is tearing apart the very fabric of our bond, family bonds and stuff. And I've actually thought over the years, you know what? Screw it. You know, I may have uh, served my country in both the Marines and the Army, but I'll leave this country in a heartbeat because of all this stuff. Mm -hmm. But then I get thinking about all the problems we have regarding this. There ain't a country you can go to that uh, the same problems aren't fighting them on the same levels. I mean, I have uh, followers from, Jesus, Australia, New Zealand, mm -hmm. Canada, the UK, uh, 
and, and you know uh, some of the other countries as well. But those are the main ones, and they're having the same exact problems on the same level. So I guess I'm stuck here. Yeah, it's global. This is a global problem that's destroying and creating more personality disorders to put other people through. And here we are back again in family court until we right. get rid of it. And here's the problem. Uh, when these judges aren't ruling in the right fashion, um, basically they're given a green light to the alienator. And then our children are taking this as a lesson that, mm -hmm. oh, this must be an accepted behavior and normal. And when they grow up, they bring it into their own future families. So the cycle continues. Yes, yes. You know, and I I fail to understand that. And here's the thing. They're not educating our judges about the uh, dangers and the harmful uh, consequences of parental alienation. Mm -hmm. um, you know. I know that in California, they're uh, mandated, uh, the uh, family court judges are mandated to take continuing education on a, a family abuse, you know, uh, be it uh, mental abuse, emotional abuse, so on and so forth, right? Mm -hmm. They're mandated, I think, 30 hours a week. Um, they're one of the few states that do mandate it. But here's the kicker on that. They uh, have that but they don't teach anything about uh, parental alienation and the harmful emotional abuse that goes on with that. If they would start doing that, maybe then we can get this under control and we can start seeing a significant decrease as far as the cycle of abuse that our children will carry into their own future families. Yeah, and, and these alienators are not doing them any favors or their future spouses any favors. I thought I was doing the future spouse a favor by getting divorced and and maybe correcting these um, anger issues in the kids, which I did. You know, I'm very proud of that. But, uh, you know, still with uh, telling an officer to, you know, F off is not... Uh, maybe maybe it's not completely corrected, but I, you know, for the most part, it, it appears to be corrected. I don't know. Uh, I just, I just, I'm just aghast at that behavior. I don't, I have no words. <laughs> I tell you what, I'd smack half my child's face off if I heard that word coming out of him uh, to a, a police officer or a judge or a teacher or anyone else. Mm -hmm. That is not respect. Right. You know? And I know that uh, when I was young and I was in the military and stuff, uh, it was common practice that every other word was an F this and an F yeah. that. And I carried it for, uh, on until, uh, geez, I think uh, till I was maybe in my late 30s. And then I remember um, I was at a bar and everyone was cussing just as bad. And uh, it was a type of deal, this doesn't sound very nice. And from that day forward, I quit cussing for the most part. I mean, I don't use the F word. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't use uh, the Lord's name in vain. I don't use a lot of cuss words, um, you know. But uh, hear a child use it, it really infuriates me. It's like, mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, I agree. I agree. And you can't even turn the TV set on without them. Uh, uh, using those words right and like do you remember back in the 70s uh 
the worst cuss word that I ever remember hearing back in the early 70s, and you might remember this show, was that a mother whose husband had died. She was sitting at the table and she said, damn. Oh, yes. Yeah. Or God damn it. No, uh, she said, damn. Do you remember what show that was? No. Good Times with J.J. Walker. I don't know. If I, I don't know. I've I've heard of that show, but oh, I, you may not be old enough then. Oh, <laughs> but you know, like I would I would hear I would hear my dad say "God damn it," and my mother would be yelling at him, <laughs> or he'd say "Damn it," and that was like the worst thing you could say. That was the worst thing you could say. And now it's turned. Well, I don't mind the "damn it," but I don't I won't put God's name in front of it. Right. And the few very few times that I have, I have caught myself when I've done it. I actually kind of duck because I. You know, yeah. like, sorry about that, Lord. You know, <laughs> yeah, because, right. And, and I'm not joking when I yeah, I actually duck my head yeah. uh, because I'm afraid the lightning bolt is going to come down and smack me. Yeah. I mean, we have to take our relationship seriously, God seriously, and no one's doing it. Now the world is running amok. And like William Shakespeare said, hell is empty because the devils are all here. I can believe that one. Mm-hmm. You know, and they all and and half of them are wearing black robes. Oh yes, yes. Halloween costumes. And the other half, uh, we unfortunately married them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'm so glad I had you on, and I'd like to have you back on again. You know, especially like when your your new book comes out, and you're ready to even uh, delve into that. How can people reach you? Well, the, the, probably the quickest way, uh, you know, I mean, they can go to uh, my email from A Parenting Affair, which is info at apparentingaffair.com. But for most people, it might be easier just to go on to my Facebook page, which is Hopeful Father, which is H-O-P-E-F-U-L father.com. So Facebook uh, forward slash Hopeful Father.com. Great, great. They can always just message me from that page. That's great. You're doing so much tremendous work. And thank you, you know, for your comments on Facebook and your books. And uh, I'll have you back on again. We'll keep in touch. But uh, don't jump off. Slam the Gavels, the podcast to help the public understand what really goes on in these family courtrooms. I am your host, Marianne Petrie, author of Dismantling Family Court Corruption, Why Taking the Kids Was Not Enough, and Cry Out for Justice, Poems of Truth. Please join us again here with David Schubert in the future and other exciting guests. Thank you again, Dave Schubert. Thank you. Thank you, Marianne, for having me on. I look forward to being here again, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. You too. You too. Thank you.